Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo. In light of findings that 74% of all B2B and B2C buyers do their own research online before making a purchase, it's time for you to better understand how your customers make their purchasing decisions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, hey, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Keep that in mind. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from a lady named Bethany Fagan at blog.pandadoc.com. And I just found this quote. I thought it was a really great way to introduce our topic. She says, and I quote, sales and marketing teams in general have always been known to have a beef with each other. Maybe that's why 90% of the content created by sa- for sales by marketing is never used by sales. Just let that sink in. Somebody's not really talking to and listening to each other, right? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So hello to our SMB, SME audience. You know who you are, small to mid-sized businesses, enterprises, however you want to caption yourself. Your sales and marketing team should be working in harmony, singing the same song, walking to the same beat within reason, but they're too often at odds with each other. Here's a reality check. With 62% of buyers searching online for product information today versus 29% who speak with a live salesperson along their buying journey, marketing is playing a really integral role in the sales process. Uh Uh-huh. I got those words into the sentence, marketing and sales. That's where we're going. So what should the modern sales process look like for your company in order to get these two functions to work together in harmony? So I have a panel of experts here today to talk with us. And let me just tell you briefly who they are. And then we'll get started. First up, I'm going to be welcoming Erica Hovland, H-O-V-L-A-N-D, if you want to look her up, Managing Director for, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Erica, Iolite, I-O-L-I-T-E 360. Did I say your company correctly? Yes, perfect. Okay, good. Thank you very much. And joining her on the panel today is Sam Smith. No, not the songster. This is a Director of Sales and Marketing at Stellar One Consulting. And in a little bit in the program, we will find out what Erica does at her company and what Sam does at his. And rounding out the panel is a returning visitor to Game Changers. He is Casey Ryan. He's been on the show before, a guy with two first names, two last names. I still can't figure it out. He is a Partner Service Advisor with the Partner Service Delivery Team at SAP. And he's in the radio biz as well, a birdie told me. So let's get started. Erica has sent me a quote from, well, in New York where I come from, Erica, we, we use the French pronunciation, Jacques C. Penney, but it's really J.C. Penney. Uh, J.C. Penney is an American department store chain with 850 locations, and I tried to look up who he is, and I'm getting the name of his store instead. But anyway, a very, very famous retailer. Let's just leave. Oh, here we go. James Cash Penny, born in Hamilton, Missouri. Um, He came to Colorado at the advice of a doctor because he had poor health and they thought the climate would be better. He went to work for a dry goods store called Golden Rule Stores in Colorado and Wyoming, blah, blah, blah. And then he joined a partnership and moved to Wyoming and started his own store. The first one opened on April 14, 1902. And you can look up the rest of his storied history. Here's the quote. The five separate fingers 
are five independent units. Close them and the fist multiplies strength. This is organization. Erica, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. Glad to have you on board. Tell me, but we, I don't think we've ever had a quote from J.C. Penney, or as I said, Jacques C. Penney. We also call Target Target <laughs> in New York. It's you know, you, you want everybody <laughs> to think you're shopping. Yeah, you want everybody to think you're shopping upscale. That's why we always did that, or some of us did that anyway. So, talk to me about the quote. I'm very intrigued. It's a beautiful quote, by the way, and very important for our conversation. So, what does it mean to us? Thanks. So James Cash Penny, you know, we think about pennies as being this major national retailer, but when he started out as an entrepreneur, like you mentioned, he was working with this very small chain of stores called the Golden Rule, which is do unto others as you would have done unto you. And this was his belief. Uh-huh. And he, he actually started buying into that chain and started growing the stores and growing the chains with this huge focus on good customer-oriented values and a a service orientation. And as part of how he did it, he believed in building a strong team. So managers would get financial assistance to then go on and buy their own stores. And this is how his retailers started to spread across the country. And he, in a very innovative way, actually there was profit sharing for every single employee in that JCPenney chain. So he's cutting edge for the early 1900s. And with that kind of an orientation, it's no surprise that he really saw the value of everybody working together. So the quote, and the reason I picked the quote, is looking at that five separate fingers as being five independent units. We see that a lot today with sales working independently from marketing and both Mm -hmm. of those groups working independently from the customer service or accounts payable. And when you're doing that, um, you're... You know, a finger can break more easily than a fist. And so when you close all the fingers together, the fist is really multiplying the strength of your organization. And he's saying, this is organization. So to me, what this is meaning is that every functional area or team has a separate role or a purpose. So you can operate independently. But if you operate together, there's real power behind that. And it prevents some of those those breakdowns that can happen and really destroy a company. So when you look at J.C. Penney, obviously he was a hugely successful entrepreneur for yes. the last century, and he was living his values and his commitment to building a team. And one of the things I really like about his story is after the Depression, all the banks called in all of his loans. He lost almost everything. He had, I think at the time he was worth about $40 million, mm-hmm. and he had to cash in part of his life insurance policy, and he actually used some of it to make payroll. So this is a guy with great integrity and really, really walked the walk and talked the talk about working together. Um, and he grew the company at, it was actually over, I think, fifteen or 1,600 stores by the time he retired. Yes. And so today, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of competition instead of collaboration. We've got this focus on making our numbers instead of focusing on aligning every single employee to really orient around the customer and what the customer needs. And my opinion is this is how companies fail. And it's not just because sales and marketing don't play nicely. It also, it can result in a muddy message. It prevents your brands from being fully understood or appreciated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, today when you've got all this rapid change, this disruption, Mm -hmm. you need every single person on your team working towards the same objective. And you really need a fist, not a finger to break through. 
Thank you, Erica. Wonderful explanation. I have a little piece of trivia to add to this. You mentioned that J.C. Penney retired in 1941. By then, he did ha- was operating 1,600 stores across all 48 U.S. states. But what's interesting is the year before, in 1940, guess who started working at a J.C. Penney in Des Moines, Iowa? It was Sam Walton. And he later went on yeah. to found the retail giant Walmart in 1962. So he got his start in retailing in 1940 under the banner of J.C. Penney as an employee. That, to me, is very interesting in terms of the company as a model, Penny as a role model. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Erica. Great start to our competition here between sales and marketing. Can we get them to play nicely in the sandbox? And that's one of our goals today is to help our listening audience around the world figure out how to do it, how to break down the barrier, the silos. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a competitive spirit. I just mentioned that, but it doesn't need to be. You need to get together. Uh, I think there was a Haley Mills song in The Parent Trap. Casey's in music, maybe he remembers. It was Let's Get Together, Yeah, 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 We Can Have a Real Good Time, about twins who were separated and tried to get their parents together to form one big happy family. Maybe that should have been the title of this show. Let's get together, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Erica. Good start. Sam Smith is up next from Stellar One Consulting, and Sam has sent us a quote from Rickson Gracie, G-R-A-C-I-E, Portuguese gentleman born uh, November 21st, 1958. He has a, a, let's see, a ninth degree red belt in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, and he's a retired mixed martial artist, uh, and he's a member of the Gracie family. I'm not sure who they are, but they have a lot of people. He was an inductee of the Legends of MMA Hall of Fame in 2014. And here is the quote. you got to really explain this one to me, Sam Smith. Quote, if size mattered, the elephant would be king of the jungle. Sam Smith, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. Talk to me about this quote. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so my whole career, I've spent around small companies and startups. So uh, it's uh, a mighty company is a company that uh, builds value, and the uh, and it's only as good as the value that it creates in other people's lives. So uh, it doesn't take a huge company to do that. Intensity and scale are sort of the two uh, drivers of the dynamics of a powerful company at the intensity or the quality of the value that you're driving in other people's lives and the quantity or the scale. And that's why you don't typically see one lion take down an elephant. You Mm -hmm. see a couple of them or a few of them. Uh, But that's to say that uh, small companies can be very dynamic and have a great impact in the powerful companies uh, by the intensity and the quality that they're driving in people's lives. Um, And typically small companies can do it quickly um, they can do, move fast. So uh, small companies, although they're, they may not be on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, they still can be very powerful and be creating a ton of value in people's lives. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Uh, what's your thought on when a small company starts, Sam? I don't know if you can give me a little perspective on this. When somebody starts a company, do they ever say, okay, Bob, you'll be in charge of marketing. Okay, Jim, you'll be in charge of sales. I want you two to talk to each other and coordinate and make sure that everything comes together nicely from the very start. No battles, no silos, nobody standing on the sidelines saying he didn't do this and she didn't do that. Do you think there's ever that ethic or that let's get together from the very start and do you think the silos develop later what's your thought on how it how it happens how we get to the part sam where we need to have this conversation today 
Yeah, I think if you're starting a company here, you know, in 2018, or you have, you know, the last 10 years or so, you know, your reliance on the internet uh, to drive opportunities for your company has been an active part of your business from the very beginning. Uh, before, if people wanted information about your company, they had to pick up the phone and call you or visit you. Now they can do a ton of research before they even pick up the phone or visit your location. Um, and they can do a lot of learning about you in their own research. Uh, so if you, if a small company is starting off, uh, typically you want to focus on being able to, you have a, a message and a value proposition. Um, and a, a good salesperson can communicate that and drive value. Um, and really understand the needs and the pains and challenges and the opportunities uh, that prospects or customers are facing. And the marketing allows you to materialize that value proposition in a way that's visual, um, in a way that you can help people throughout the buyer's journey. So I think that um, at, the, at the very beginning of the onset of the company, if you're focused on understanding that you have to not just be able to talk it, but you have to actually be able to show it, marketing does a great job of being able to show um, you know, authority on a particular subject and a mm-hmm. value proposition. So those two working together can be can be quite powerful. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you, Sam. And anybody wondering, Sam is not the singer Sam Smith. He is our panelist from Stellar One, and we'll find out in a few minutes what he does. And now let's welcome back Casey Ryan at the Partner Service Delivery Team at SAP. And Casey has picked up an interesting quote from Michael Kane in an interview. I don't have the exact date of the interview, but Sir Michael Kane, CBE. I don't know if you know Casey. You probably do. He was born Maurice Joseph Micklewhite Jr. in March of 1933, English actor, producer, and author known for his very distinctive and charming Cockney accent. He has appeared in over 115 films and is regarded as a British film icon. Everybody knows him from The Ipcris File going back to 65, Alfie 1966, for which he was nominated for an Oscar, The Italian Job, The Battle of Britain. He was in Sleuth, Get Carter, my goodness, The Man Who Would Be King, A Bridge Too Far, and on and on and on. He has won a Golden Globe for Best Actor, and he did receive an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in Woody Allen's film, Hannah and Her Sisters. Here is the quote. Be like a duck, calm on the surface, but always paddling like the dickens underneath. Casey, I should have tried to do it in a Cockney accent. Can you do that for me? I couldn't do uh, Sir Michael Justice, but uh, he's always been <laughs> one of my favorites. He's actually won two Oscars, by the way, one uh, for supporting actor for the Cider House Rules, too. Okay, didn't have that in my notes here. We have to tell IMDb to update or wherever I got it, Wikipedia, update their files here. So, talk and to me. I just wanted to say one thing yeah. before you get started. Between the uh, the French pronunciations and the mentions of the Gracies, this is turning into a really cool conversation. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of the Gracies, Sam, so uh, good on you for bringing them up. Very cool. Yeah. So, talk to me about this Michael Caine quote. What was he talking about? Why is this duck paddling like the Dickens? And I love that expression. Go ahead, Casey. Well, to a certain extent, I think that that's uh, sound life advice for, for anybody, uh, specifically you know, in the business community. If you look at Michael Caine's career, he's always been extremely busy, but uh, he's always presented a very cool and level-headed front about it. Uh, always pursued the projects that he needed and uh, let people know that uh, he had a calm voice ahead of him, but, but uh, he was always working extremely hard. Okay, and tell me something. Uh, did you like the quote from Gracie? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, growing up, I was a big fan of Royce Gracie, so I used to watch a lot of his fights. 
Okay, very, very interesting. Uh, Casey, I just wanted to ask you, what is your favorite Michael Caine film? Do you have a favorite out of 115? I know you're very young, but which is the one you would watch again and again? If I had to go back and pick one, I, I keep going back to watch The Man Who Would Be King because that actually combines two of my favorites, uh, him and Sean Connery. So. Oh, very interesting. Thank you very much. I like that. Um, one other question for you. Be like a duck. Who's the one who's paddling underneath? It is, it, is it the CMO? Is it the CSO, Chief Marketing Officer, Chief Sales Officer? Is it the CEO looking down at the battling teams, the functions that are not coordinating and playing nicely in the proverbial sandbox? Who's the one who I should be... That's tr- a sound, yeah. I, I think that that's a sound message to anybody, whether or not you're a CFO or whether or not you're a PSA, that uh, we should all be like the duck in the sense that we should all be working extremely hard and things get frantic and... and uh, tensions run high uh, when you're working in the office, but when you're in front of a customer and you're presenting a public face, uh, we should be like the upper part of the duck and cool and collected. Thank you very much. Cool and collected. I like that. So let's go back around the table to Erica Hovland at Iolite 360. Erica, three questions for you. Number one, where are you calling from in general today? We don't need the the address or the room door in your office. We'd like to know what your favorite drink is because the series Think Big Work Small with Game Changers is part of our bigger umbrella series Coffee Break with Game Changers. So we'd love to know what kind of drink powers you to be so smart at what you do. And number three, tell us just a little bit about your company and what you do there. So Erica Hovland, you're up first. Great. So today, normally I'm calling from the Philadelphia area. Today I'm actually in the northern woods of Minnesota and drinking a real strong Minnesotan coffee with cream in it. That's usually my standard go-to drink, something like that, or a real healthy turmeric tea. Mm. And um, my company, what we do is we, we focus on branding and help brands do good, feel good, and be good. And I also do interim executive assignments, leading sales and marketing organizations. Okay. Have you come across a lot of this battling that we're talking about today, Erica? Is this something you observe? And is it violent or vehement in a business sense of, of the word? I have observed it over and over and over in my career. I don't notice it really being violent or vehement. It's it's just competitive, and sometimes it's almost encouraged. I remember I worked for a, a bigger company, and we had a vice president that was new to our division that came in, and he was trying to connect with our sales leadership by making fun of marketing, and it sort of set that tone for that divisive sales versus mm-hmm. marketing and we had actually built a really strong working relationship. And I just remember these blank stares coming back from these other vice presidents that were in the room looking at me and I was looking at them. And it was just like this awkward silence because it wasn't the dynamic that we had built. And it was that was really how I started to understand how special it was and important it was to have that relationship between sales and marketing. Thank you very much. You know, I'm thinking of uh, thinking of another movie. I'll come up with it in just a second. But in the meantime, let's move on to... Oh, I know. I was thinking of the Smother Brothers. Smothers Brothers, Mom Likes You Better. Remember, they used to battle on stage. Mom, Mother Likes You Better. Uh, the two Smothers Brothers. Uh, Casey may remember some of their sketches. I saw them live at Westbury Music Fair in New York before it changed names years ago. And uh, that was always their thing. And the question is, who, who do they think that the C-suite likes better, sales or marketing? Okay, Sam Smith, you're up next. Where are you calling from? What's your favorite drink that powers you? And what is Stellar One Consulting? And what do you do there, Sam? 
Hi, uh, so I am calling from my office in Lake Forest, California, which is, for those that aren't familiar with the area, about an hour south of Los Angeles. Uh, today, uh, on my way to the office, I stopped by a Starbucks that's right by my house, and I picked up a venti americano with whipped cream, two packets of raw sugar, stirred very well until I get that nice foam. Um, and that's, it's treating me very well here this morning. And what I do, I'm the head of sales and marketing at Stellar One Consulting, and Stellar One Consulting is an SAP Business One partner. We actually help small businesses digitally transform their business processes and leverage technology to be hyper-efficient and to be extremely profitable. Uh, we focus on helping our companies drive their revenue per employee so that they can be very efficient, be very profitable, and so that the living standard and the, the, the growth of the company can be quite high of the people that are involved. Uh, so that's, that's what I do here at Stellar One. Thank you very much. I like the drink. I like what you do, and I'm glad to have you on the panel. And now let's go to Casey Ryan. Casey, you were on a couple months ago with me on it, or maybe it was last year. When was it you were on Game Changers, Casey? Do you remember? Uh, if you believe it or not, Bonnie, it was actually three years ago. <laughs> no way. Yeah. No way. No, no, no. No, I feel like we've been talking all along. I must be in my head. Casey, where are you? What's your favorite drink, and what have you been up to, and what in the world is partner service delivery? Well, uh, I'm actually calling from my home office in Laval, Quebec, which is about three miles north of Montreal. Uh, I work as a partner service advisor. I've been with SAP for eight years to the very day. Today is my anniversary, so I'm really happy about that. And, Congratulations. Uh, partner service delivery is the department that I report to, and what we do is we manage all of the partnering firms with SAP uh, to manage their relationships with SAP to coach them through a set of mandates and help them to achieve all of their uh, business objectives and make sure that the relationship stays as uh, productive and uh, pleasant as possible. Thank you very much. Pleasant as possible is a good goal, isn't it? Very, very much. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham here with a really interesting panel. We're talking today. Our topic is playing nice in the sandbox, aligning sales and marketing. Casey may or may not remember this about me. I'm new to Erica and Sam and vice versa. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and you know why. So all I'm allowed to have is a glass of water. So I have, and it's interesting to me, a cool, clear mug I brought with me when I moved from New York to Durham, North Carolina 10 months ago, and I have my same mug I was using up there, and I have a couple of ice cubes because it's warm here in Durham right now, and a pink straw because I'm hoping the clouds go away and the blue sky comes out and the sun is shining again. I am getting used to the Florida-style weather here. Never expected it. We can get a squall. Ah, thunder, a little bit of lightning, trees blowing sideways, pouring downpour rain for about 20 minutes. And then, woof, like it was never there. The sun comes pouring out, beating down. It's in the 90s, and it's sunny, and it's like it never rained. But the garden is very happy, so have to get used to that. Oh, it's August. I should get used to it by now. We are talking to, today, Erica Hovland at Iolite 360, Sam Smith at Stellar One, spelled out S-T-E-L-L-A-R-O-N-E, Consulting, Casey Ryan at SAP. And let me also spell the name of Erica's company, I-O-L-I-T-E 360. So there you go. We're going to take a quick break. Just a little 90-second break so you can do whatever you need to do. The pause that refreshes will be right back. Erica Hovland is going to start the roundtable with me. So, as I like to say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Erin, out.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Studies have shown that buyers in today's digital economy are spending more time online than ever before, discovering and researching products and services. As a result, it is critical for businesses like yours to learn how to locate and engage with prospects and customers in this digital space. Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers explores the impact of changing digital economy on small to medium-sized businesses. We'll define the challenges SMEs face to proactively connect with buyers on their digital journey and share proven strategies to put into action to be successful. Tune in to hear the experiences and insights of top sales and marketing thought leaders and practitioners as they discuss how the digital economy is reshaping the SME business world. Think Big, Work Small, presented by SAP, every Thursday on the Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers. Here we go. We're back and we're talking about the battle of sales and marketing, especially in SMBs, small to mid-sized businesses, or perhaps you call yourself an SME. I'm speaking today with Erica Hovland, H-O-V-L-A-N-D. Look her up at Iolite 360, Sam Smith at Stellar One Consulting, and Casey Ryan at SAP. We're going to start our roundtable, but when I bring Casey in, he has something he forgot to tell us before, and I know he's ready to share that. So Erica Hovland's going to start us off, and here's what Erica told me before the show. Let me read a couple of lines here and then she will expand. Then we'll see what Sam and Casey have to say about Erica's topic. Erica says, many companies have sales and marketing staff running on two different tracks in two different directions. Let's go with that one. Erica, what's happening with this? Well, Bonnie, you had talked about in your initial intro, 90% of marketing uh, content isn't being used by sales. And really what you have, you'll hear salespeople saying, well, I know my customers, I can sell on instinct, I can, I can go off script. But what you're really doing there is you're diluting your brand identity and it becomes really hard for your brand to stand for something that's unique or memorable. And then on the flip side, you know, marketing is doing all this work, putting all this effort into developing great communication pieces and running campaigns and probably even sending messages to the targets, the customer targets, without the salespeople being aware of them. And the salespeople can really get caught off guard when they're in front of a customer who asks a question about a piece that they've never seen or aren't even familiar with. And I I think this happens because of a a basic lack of communication, but it's also, you know, I was in sales and sometimes the marketing collateral just didn't work. The messages didn't Mm. work. And if I found value in it, I started using it. And I think that what can happen is when sales and marketing starts communicating and you have 
salespeople giving input into the marketing messages and marketing really listening to sales and under and valuing the the fact that they're in front of the customer, you end up having a better product and you can design marketing collateral that works and then sales will actually use it and carry it through. And when you don't, you. you just have these two trains running in two different directions. Yep. Very, very important. And use, yes. Okay. Let's see what Sam Smith has to say about this. It's Stellar One. Sam, join us. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, it's really important to make sure that the message is, is, is on point and is consistent with the brand. Um, and uh, that the two departments are speaking with one another. I, too, have been in situations where uh, sometimes if you have a, a small company that's, um, you know, trying to grow and they're maybe expanding their overhead, maybe they buy a new facility or a new office or they buy new equipment, um, the pressure to generate more revenue becomes uh, really high. And so oftentimes there's this focus on sales, 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 and then sort of marketing is an afterthought. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that that can play, uh, that can be really damaging because um, without collateral, without tools, it's difficult for the message to be, um, to be accurately presented at scale, number one. And number two, you know, salespeople need tools. They need to be able to do more than just talk. They need to be able to show. Um, and so I think that um, if you have those two understanding that you can't just leave marketing as an afterthought, it has to be um, an active part um, almost as if sales and marketing are one entity um, or one group or one division. You can't, um, you can't just, you know, you know, put, put the marketing on the back burner. So I think that that's uh, one thing that happens. Thank you very much, Casey Ryan. And before you give us your answer on the topic, Casey, little birdie told me on the break, you forgot to tell me what you're drinking or what your favorite drink is. So why don't you do that first? So I'll get in my own public service announcement. I, uh, whenever I do radio, I drink strawberry rhubarb tea from David's Tea. I find it good on the throat. Whoa. What does it taste like? Do you put anything in it? It tastes like a nice big piece of hot rhubarb pie, and I love rhubarb pie. So. Oh, I haven't heard that in a long, long time. Thank you very much. I'll have to look that one up. And now let's talk about the two different tracks, sales and marketing, that Erica brought up and Sam added to. Go ahead, Casey. Well, I I think it raises an interesting point. I used to be a sales rep myself. I was an account executive with an SAP partner prior to working with SAP for for 10 years. And salespeople going off script is really a burden to a lot of operations and management people, uh, I think. And it raises the question as to whether or not sales is an art or science uh, to some extent. Mm -hmm. But I think that uh, my two esteemed panelists here uh, touched on an important point that a certain amount of alignment and a healthy alignment is important. Otherwise, the, uh, the messaging can sound somewhat schizophrenic, I think. Well, that's a strong way to put it. How, do, how so? Can we give me a little more? We can't just leave that one on the, on the cutting room floor. Uh, yes, I know you know what that means. So what does that mean, schizophrenic? How does that sound to the market? Well, in, in presenting multiple different views of things that aren't necessarily quite in alignment with each other. You want to present one personality, one front, and one set of messaging to accomplish one goal. Uh, And if the vocabulary or the branding of it isn't consistent, then people aren't really going to know what to believe. Okay. Very interesting thought. Thank you very much. Sam, I'm coming around to you. I want to cover as many topics as we can before we go to our crystal ball predictions round at the end. So here's something interesting I don't think we've covered yet, Sam. You say, marketing must be intimately familiar with the sales process. 
in order to understand how to build content that nurtures leads through conversion. That means marketing must understand the questions prospects ask, the challenges they face, the opportunities they see, and then create content, a marketing message that addresses these issues accurately and succinctly. That's a lot of goals in there. Sam Smith, why don't you distill this for us? What does this all mean? Yeah, it, it gets down to communication, and it gets down to a, an understanding of each other and an appreciation for one another. If marketing doesn't understand the questions that prospects are asking, the problems that they're facing, the challenges that they're trying to overcome, or the opportunities that they're looking to realize, um, how can they build content that's going to help sales, nurture leads, and convert them? Um, they need to. They need to be on. Uh, they need to be uh, on the same page and. In the same way that a salesperson can't just, you know, shove information down your throat anymore and try to get you to buy a product or a service, um, that, that, that's earned by positioning yourself as an authority figure. And as a positioning yourself as an authority figure means actually helping someone answer a question that they have or solve a problem, um, that they're, that they're trying to solve. Um, and so if marketing understands what's going on on the front end, the sales process and the journey, then they can create content that actually helps the sales team to convert more leads. Thank you. Casey Ryan, interesting thoughts from Sam. What do you think? I, I think that's actually a very salient point. And, and the flip side to that point is that if marketing needs to understand what further conversations from a sales perspective, uh, I would also argue that sales, by the same token, needs to understand from marketing uh, what helps bring people to the table in the first place. Uh, so there, there, it really is a symbiotic relationship at that point. Thank you. Erica Havland, join us. What do you think? Yeah, I think this really almost becomes a chicken or egg question. You know, if marketing thinks it's setting the strategy and trying to fuel sales and that sales should follow marketing's lead, you're going to have that breakdown. Whereas if sales thinks that they're really the front and that marketing should just feeling them it you know you get into this loop of who thinks they're in charge and mm-hmm. who thinks they're on top and agreed that you need to understand each other's perspectives perfect segue into a topic i want to pick up now thank you erica from casey's list of statements here casey you say both sales and marketing wrongly have an inherent belief that each knows more about revenue generation than the other is this the basis is this the distillation down to the core of the problem they are working for a company casey they know it's about generating bottom line revenue somehow and they think they have the faster or the better path to that goal what's your thought give me a little more please well on the subject of smb specifically when you have uh, people working in closer quarters and you have a lot more interaction between the two teams there's a lot of strong personalities that come into play uh, in sales and marketing and everybody wants the same things they want to generate revenue Uh, admittedly their view of the mountain is slightly different in terms of how to actually get up there so uh, I, i think that taking a step back and trying to learn from each other a little bit more as opposed to trying to see who can get to the top of the mountain first is, is uh, an approach that I'd like to see more from, from sales teams, certainly from, from my own experience. Thank you. Erica, let's get your thoughts on this one, and then we'll go to Sam. Erica? Well, I, I think that with revenue generation, everyone in the company has a role in that, and I like to I think that there's a greater purpose that you can all align to feeling that 
each single each person, whether you're the janitor who's making sure that everything is clean so that the research and development pro- team can do their R and D, you know, you have got everyone, and if everyone starts to align towards your customer facing um, goals and purposes, then you can stop worrying about who is better at revenue generation and just kind of think about it as that's the purpose of the company. And, and ultimately, really, the purpose of the company is to make sure that the customers are happy and that mm-hmm. you've met their needs and wants. Thank you. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, similar to, a, a, you know, a football game, you know, when you score a touchdown, uh, passing touchdown, the quarterback passes the ball to a receiver, you know, in, in both of those situations, the score doesn't happen without quarterback throwing the ball or the receiver catching it. So it's a, it's a relationship that has to be understood that revenue generation is, does not happen one without the other at scale. Um, you may be able to get lucky, but you cannot grow consistently or predictably without having marketing and sales and looking at them as one. They both have different skill sets and they're focused on different metrics. But at the end of the day, it's about driving customer acquisition and customer retention. Thank you. And we'll and Sam, I want to bring up another point from your list of statements you sent me before the show that I think is at, an add-on to what we're talking about here. You say a clearly defined SLA. Anybody wondering what that part of the alphabet soup is? Service level agreement between marketing and sales is critical for a healthy relationship. You say the conditions under which the transition of a contact from a marketing qualified lead to a sales qualified lead need to be clearly defined. This will force them to work together. Sam, give me a little more on this and then we'll take it around the table, please. Yeah, I think it's just really critical to understand uh, where and to lay the framework for a healthy relationship. And uh, in, the, you know, in the business world, we do that with contracts or agreements so that we understand who, who, what role and responsibility and how to hold the other party accountable for certain things as you as you go to work together. And that, so I think that doing that with sales and marketing helps to lay the foundation or the boundaries in which sales and marketing play together. Um, and if either, if either side understands what the service level agreement means and what actually defines when a read lead co- becomes sales ready for the sales team to be ready to speak to them, at the end of the day, that's how you're able to measure things um, appropriately if things are clearly defined. So if you clear, create a relationship that's clearly defined between sales and marketing and each other, that's, that opens the line of communication and opens the understanding for each other. That's how uh, a really healthy sales and marketing team can work together uh, to be pushing and, and rowing, so to speak, in the same direction. I like that. Casey, what are your thoughts on this? Do you believe in SLAs for internal teams? Does that work? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what you're doing at that point is establishing a mutual charter of engagement. Uh, and moreover, uh, even I would argue almost as important, if not more important than communication, is that you're establishing trust uh, between the two departments because one side knows what the other side is responsible for and how to interact with the other. So I, I'm completely in favor of it. Erica, what's your thought on that? I'm a little bit more ambivalent on the SLA concept. I think if there's a history of antagonism or a history of miscommunication, yes, they can absolutely be really helpful. And I think it depends, too, on the size of your organization and how many products you have and the complexity within your organization. So I don't think they're right for everybody, but I can, you know, I do agree with my esteemed colleagues on the panel that in certain circumstances, they can be really beneficial by clarifying um, expectations. 
Thank you very much. I have a question, a little bit off book here for the whole panel. I'm going to start with Erica and run around the table, Erica, Sam, and then Casey. We talk on this series, on several of my other Game Changer series. This one is focused, obviously, think big, work small on SMEs, SMBs, small businesses, mid-sized businesses. We're talking very often about videos in marketing, videos on social selling, making videos, customizing, personalizing, messaging. So let's put the term rogue into the mix and say that you have a sales team that feels empowered. You give them a wonderful room with a green screen in the back or just a plain curtain or a mountain backdrop and you put them in front of a terrific quality, high quality digital camera and you say, okay, you're selling, uh, Bob, you're selling to Mr. Jones at XYZ Company. Make a a customized 60 second introduction and tell him who you are and what the company does and how we can benefit him. So Bob the salesperson sits in front of the screen and he does this wonderful from the heart video and he sends it to Mr. Jones at XYZ Company and Mr. Jones gets it and then the marketing team finds out about it and takes a look and says, what? So let's start with Erica. This is a reality more and more companies are asking their salespeople to step up, personalize for their social selling especially. Are they always going to be on book as far as the marketing message, the messaging that the company blesses? Erica, is there danger in them, Nar Hills, or is this a good idea, and how does marketing fit into this? Well, I'm, I love what's been going on with social selling. You know, we know that people oftentimes make a decision or hire somebody before they ever reach out to the company. So if you look at all of your employees as being advocates, um, you know, LinkedIn, somebody might post, hey, I'm looking for a head of sales on LinkedIn, and it's through their network that they uncover um, these opportunities or, you know, I'm looking for a new, um, you know, whatever the services that you're selling. So I think you have to accept that that's going to happen. And what I believe you need to do is make sure that you've got really good training in place and possibly like an approval process to, to vet what people are saying about your company. But really an employee, everything that they do in the Twitter sphere on social media, it's all sort of an extension of who you are as a brand. So I definitely think it happens that people are off script and it can be kind of scary. And as long as there's a process to give guidelines and some training, I think that it's something to embrace and, and go forward with. Thank you. I like the optimism, but a little bit of caution thrown into that mix. Erica Hovland, appreciate that. Sam Smith at Stellar One. Agree or disagree? Uh, I totally uh, agree that social selling is critical at, uh, every, you know, everyone's got a, a platform now. There's really no excuse to not be trying to build value for people um, in every single place that you can. And 2018, we live in a few different places in the B2B space. LinkedIn's a big deal. So uh, why would you not try to build value for your audience there um, if you could? So I'm, I'm a big proponent of it. Um, getting back to our central topic of aligning sales and marketing, as long as there's boundaries or there's, you know, parameters or a definition of what can be done on social media, um, I think that you let the wild horses run within those boundaries as long as they're set, um, and that, that communication is, is key. It's funny that you say setting up a studio at Stellar mm-hmm. One Consulting. We actually literally just finished setting up our studio. Um, oh. This happened yesterday. Yeah. I didn't uh, know that. Yes, yes. It's, it's your timing and, uh, is, is, is pretty awesome. So, yeah, no, Thank it's, you. Uh, it's a, it's a video is going to play a big role in our, in our marketing strategy and, um, and, and in the uh, social selling that I'll be doing as well. 
So, Sam, I'm not letting you off the hook that easily. I don't know how I knew, but I know. What can I tell you? Just one of those kinds of people. What are you using? What kind of equipment? How big is the studio? And how fast are you going to get people trained? Just a little sidebar for our listeners to know it's really going on. Great question. Yeah, very simple. Um, So I've got about a 12 by 12 section of my office uh, cornered off. Um, I thought uh, I went on Amazon and found there's a number of setups for lighting and backdrop. Uh, mm-hmm. For less than $400, I'm all set up. The camera that I have um, is a, it's, a, uh, it's not the best camera in the world, but it's a camera and it will work. It's a, um, it's a Canon Rebel T5. Um, mm-hmm. So for, you know, for less than $700, I've got a full functioning studio up. Um, and ready to rock and roll and start pushing out content. Doing those personalized messages um, that, you, that you were mentioning, I think, is the way to separate yourself. And if you've got a studio set up, you've got a camera, you've got some video editing software, um, in a short period of time, you can be putting out a lot of content daily, weekly. So, Thank great you. Tool. Thank you, Sam. Glad I asked. Uh, I wanted to say that when we do these shows, we've done one on this series and one, I think, on another series, and we captioned the title of the episode, Look, Ma, I'm on Video. <laughs> and that's just that's just about where it is. By the way, I am now producing my, my long-running cable TV series from my home studio, and I invested in a Mevo camera and lights uh, not that expensive Chauvet lights put up on a big uh, like a light tree a pole in the corner and a soundboard with hardwired mics and the Mevo runs off of my iPad and it's really okay. really cool and I'm able to do my shows and edit and post in iMovie and put in the transitions and the opening and closing roll-ins and the credits and even pulling out quotes from the conversation for my guests so very interesting yes many many uses for this new technology KC didn't forget you love to know what you think about sales running off and doing messaging on their own in videos like we've been talking about with Erica and Sam. What do you think? Good, bad, or well, not so much? I, I think that all three of us agree on the concept of, of the value of personalized messaging and the value of boundaries, but I also think that it extends slightly beyond the scope of this conversation to some extent, that uh, if the horses do run a little bit too wild to extrapolate on what something that Sam said, it also raises the question of, of uh, sales and marketing as a unit uh, playing nice with departments like product development or operations as well, uh, because you don't want to be able to make promises that you can't necessarily keep. That is so true. And let me see if there's one more topic here. Oh, I have a topic from your list, Casey. I think we have time to squeeze this in maybe really quickly, a minute each going around the table, but you can introduce it. You say, have both teams, sales and marketing, meet regularly to brainstorm ideas, especially in scenarios for RFIs and RFPs. Talk to me about that. How would that work? Who comes to the table? The top of the line in sales and marketing, the, the heads of those departments, or or um, anybody who has well, ideas? RFPs, especially the bigger ones, require a lot of different elements, and there's no one person that can respond possibly, I don't think, to any of the, all of, any and all of the questions that are included in an RFI and RFP. So if it's significant, uh, it does help to, at that point, put a bit of a task force together, whether it's somebody from marketing and sales, uh, and designate a, a project owner and carve it up and say, you're going to handle these questions, uh, and then another team is going to handle the other ones, and then we can all come back to the table and figure out a way to put it all together. That, that was basically what I meant by that. Thank you. I want to see what Erica has to say briefly. Do you agree or disagree with that brainstorming concept? 
Yeah, I think that we're, you know, you can't help but get in and have tunnel vision about what you know. And when you get sales and marketing in to work collaboratively, you can start to exchange ideas. I mean, sales can start to see some ways to meet customer needs that you can then work into an RFP and then that can end up getting you the business because you've added some sort of service that they start to see as being important to the customer. So I agree. I think that the more perspectives you've got in a room, the better you have as far as your ability to win customers. Thank you. Of course, as long as that wonderful SLA is in place, Sam Smith speaking of, why don't you give us a quick overview of what you think about this, the brainstorming with both teams. Absolutely. Brainstorming is key. Um, it's the way you keep the communication alive. It's the way, you know, iron sharpens iron. Um, not everybody has the same perspective or has the same experiences. So being able to put people in a room um, that are working together and have them share their ideas is, is critical for, for company growth, for innovation, and uh, to make sure that you're serving the customer and driving as much value as possible. Um, I think that that's, that's absolutely critical. Thank you very much. I'm circling back to Erica. And Erica, it's time for the crystal ball predictions round. Some people call it a lightning round because I do put a time limit on your answers. Love to know. Let's go anywhere between 2020 and 2025. Your choice, Erica Hovland at iolite 360. What will change about this conversation if we met again at the point in time you target for us? Will we not have a conversation about it? Will sales and marketing be arm in arm, hand in hand, looking at the sunset and making beautiful music together? Or will it still be the same? Okay, come on, kids. Let's go together. Let's play together nicely. So, Erica Hovland, you're up. Let's give you 60 seconds and see where you go. Well, I think companies are going to be much more sophisticated in presenting something that's unified to the customers. And I think customers are going to be making decisions less transactionally. Right now, there's a lot of decisions being made on price and the, what the product is. And as companies start to differentiate on experience and customers start to seek more for customer experience, I think what you'll see is that companies will have to have like a 360-degree view into customer information. So accounts payable information would be available to a customer service agent and marketing is going to know more about leads and targets. They'll be better at segmenting customer potential targets on if you're trying to acquire them or if you're trying to retain them or if you're trying to cross-sell. So ultimately, I think with a customer orientation around that customer, you might not even have marketing and sales being separate in separate divisions. You might have, there's this emerging trend of customer success and you might have like a customer, head of customer success that's responsible for all customer facing activities and you just get rid of all these division and divisive names and have everyone working together. Oh, we have not heard that on, I can't remember hearing anybody predict that, Erica. So it would be sales and marketing may be merged into a customer success department. Is that the message? Wow, that's breaking news. At least it is for me. Thank you very much. I've heard we have people who talk about social selling will just become selling. E-commerce will just be known as commerce. This is a new one for me. Thank you, Erica. Sam Smith, let's see what you predict. How far out are we looking? Uh, well, I mean, I think that um, I think Erica brings up a great point about the customer-focused marketing. I think that uh, in that the inbound methodology has really taken root, um, and we are starting to see companies adopt it wholeheartedly, um, building value through content um, to uh, attract rather than promote, uh, so to speak. Um, but I think uh, we touched on it briefly. You stole my thunder a little bit. Um, <laughs> 
for my prediction. But I think that outbound, you're going to see a lot of in- innovations in outbound, uh, in outbound marketing and uh, mm-hmm. outbound sales through personalized messaging, um, using and leveraging video, leveraging experiential marketing. Um, and then I think that, um, you know, the, uh, gifting is going to, uh, there are some unique things that I'm seeing and um, that we're actually developing here around uh, using in gifts um, and certain uh, things like that through outbound mailing and uh, through different experiential type marketing experiences. I think you'll see a lot of innovations in outbound. Interesting. Uh, my favorite French phrase, which you have no way of knowing because we haven't discussed this, Sam, is plus ça change, plus à la même chose. That means the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I was doing marketing for a correspondent bank in New York called Savings Banks Trust Company, which morphed into Nationar. Nobody knew why they called it that. Nobody told us. Just a made-up name. And we were sending wooden puzzles, Save the Savings Banks of New York, to CEOs as part of our marketing hmm. campaign. And my marketing agency was having these beautiful handcrafted puzzles made with our logo and and we had a video we had a whole event to go with it this was back sam in the mid 1980s doing physical Mm -hmm. mailings of gifts i'm just going to leave that one we may have to do another show on that thank you sam fascinating casey ryan i saved exactly 60 seconds for you what's your prediction Okay, I'll make this concise. Uh, I, I think that we've all touched on it, that the nature of marketing and sales is going to change, uh, I, and that the nature, not to put too fine a point on it, but the nature of mining for prospects, I think, is really what's going to change the most. Uh, and I think that uh, society as a whole is acknowledging this. Uh, you know, they're even offering classes uh, at the university level in social nomics, uh, which is something that I never would have thought of when I was going to school 20 years ago. Thank you very much. Great panel. I can't thank the three of you enough. Erica Hovland at IOLA 360, Sam Smith at Stellar One Consulting, and of course, Casey Ryan, my colleague at SAP. I hope we've solved some of the issues on the table for all of you in our SMB SME audience around the world. I want to thank our listeners all over the world for listening. You've made us very, very happy here at Game Changers Radio. We had almost 100,000 of you listening in the month of June to all of our shows, old and new, and that means I think we're reaching you with the right type of conversation. So I have a shout out to Lorraine Maurice who sponsored the series. Brittany Goo, G-U-H. Brittany, great job putting this together. Thank you so much for your work. Aaron at the Business Channel. He is my intrepid engineer. There you go, Aaron. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Erica Hovland just like Sam Smith, and just like Casey Ryan. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.